Hear the word of God. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Before I pray over the word of God, I want to pray a couple specific things. Um, I don't expect you to know this, but I want to inform you today is pray for the persecuted church. International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. If I were to tell you the most persecuted religion in the world, you would be shocked to know that it is Christianity. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. This is not my opinion. This, these are facts. In fact, we have estimations about 360 million Christians globally are being persecuted for their faith, either physically persecuted or they are being taken out of jobs and out of that kind of thing, suffering financially because of their Christian faith. Now, that may come to a shock to some of us who are you know, living comfortably in our life in Utah and in the United States of America, but the truth is that one out of seven Christians are being persecuted. In fact, what a more staggering fact is on top of that is that the persecuted these countries that have that are persecuting has doubled over the past just 30 years now here's what you're being fed to and if i may just say this in passing before i pray and i think this is important because my job is not just to exegete and proclaim the truth of the gospel i believe my job as a as a pastor and a student of the word and a and a believer of christ is also to exegete what is taking place in our culture and exposing the darkness for what it really is. And so what you'll see in just an article, and this, this only helped me, I didn't have to search much, but an article published by Salon, uh, very left-leaning article said, the greatest threat to America is this. You ready for it? Oh, those MAGAs and those Christian nationalists. Now, you may say, well, that's not me. I'm not a MAGA. I'm not a Christian nationalist. Well, well here's what they're lumping you in. Are you a, are you a believer in Christ? Yes. They're lumping you there. So here's what the world and, and, and what culture is saying. The greatest threat to America is you. Okay? Now, here's the problem. <laughs> the Christian church is the one being persecuted. Why is culture so threatened? You know why? Because the light of Christ haunts their consciousness. That's why they're threatened by us. And right now, all around the world, every two minutes, a Christian is being persecuted for their faith. I, I rest that on you, okay? You go and you hammer that out however you want to in the rest of your day. But I want us to pray for our brothers and sisters who right now in 2023 is the most persecuted time over the past 2,000 years of the Christian church. I lay that on you to pray. So Father, Let it not be just a stat we just heard.
in our comfortable chairs, in our, you know, air-conditioned, heated space, in our, you know, we, we live in one of the most wealthiest places in history. Let us not forget that my brothers and sisters are being persecuted for their faith. And the reason why is because we have something inside of us that is very threatening. And it is the king of kings. And the idea that somebody's going to have to bow before him as their judge is horrifying. I pray that you would increase their boldness. And it reminds me of Acts chapter 4 and they, as they prayed together. As we are being threatened, let us continue on in boldness. And let that be the prayer of the saints of America for the saints who are being persecuted. And it is, as it is on the threshing floor of our own nation, may this church in America not waver and kowtow to the demonic agenda of Satan. But God, may we be bold and strong. And as we are, you know, we, we see this threats around the globe of our brothers and sisters. Let it just be a, not a gentle, but maybe a, a stark reminder for most, for some of us here that we're, what we're doing has significance for your sake, for your kingdom's sake. And we just thank you, God, and we just say we love you, Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, depending on where you are or how you grew up, you were told by somebody, likely your mama, possibly your daddy, to avoid, uh, to avoid two subjects in order to keep the peace. Those two subjects would be that of what? Oh, man, y'all are smart. Like, y'all just graduated, all right? I mean, I'm just so proud to be your pastor. I'm done. Religion, if you want to excel in your career, if you want to avoid turkey being thrown at you in just a few weeks, you need to avoid two things, politics and religion. James is throwing the turkey bone at us because he is bringing up one of these taboo topics, which is that of religion. You see this in verse 27 when he says, religion then that our God accepts is and so on. It would be immediately helpful for us to define some terms then. What is religion? In the context of which James is using religion, James is using religion as in terms of an outward expression of your faith. Religion, in the context in which James is using it, is an outward expression of your faith. If I were to dive just a little bit deeper into the meaning of the word religion, we would find it helpful that the Latin meaning religio is to bind yourself up with 
In other words, it is more than just a ceremonial ritual, more than just the outward expression. But religion in itself means, in its Greek wording, to bind yourself up with something or, or up with a deity. Now you see it as before in verse 22 that James has been very concerned. In fact, this series could have been called something along the lines of the folks who are self-deceived. Because he brings up the people who are deceived, those folks, if you remember last week, who read the word, who listen to the word, but they don't obey the word. And James said, you deceived. Now I was telling this to Miranda this week. And this is just by way of passing. I think one of the saddest states that you could ever be in is self-deception. It's a self-unawareness. It's you think you're doing it right, but you're not. You've, you've convinced yourself that this is the only way, when in reality there is this way and this way is the only way. James is going to further this this conversation with self-deception. And it is very possible for you to do all the rituals, to come in and check it off your list. Well, I went to church. Well, I did a good deed. Well, I did all of this. And James says, for some of you, you are continuing in this nature of being self-deceived. Right? Because he says, uh, some of of y'all think that, that you got religion, but in fact, you can't even control your tongue. James says, what then? You're self-deceived. That if you think you're coming in, you know, religious worship, religious deeds, coming in here like checking off, the like, oh, praise the Father. You know, you're doing all the things, but yet you can't bridle your tongue. James says, you've just fallen into the category that I've been talking about this whole chapter. You are self-deceived. Now, it, it would, you know, when we talk about religion, I think it would be quite helpful in respect that some of us would probably fall in this category. And I'm just going to kind of help us out if I can this morning. Uh, Some of us may come in here and it's not uncommon for you to cross the person who may say something to the effect of, I have no interest in religion. You know, maybe I can be spiritual, but I ain't got no, no interest in none of that organized religion. And yet, to a degree, I think I could agree with you, especially in terms of what James would say in verse 26. That if you got, you say you're religious, but your mouth is just, you know, flapping and flopping. Then yeah, I would agree with that, if that's what you mean by religion. But then you look at it and you see then, well then, well then if, let's look and see what true religion is. Then I would disagree. Now, some of you may not have heard somebody say something like that. Well, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in being religious because, you know, isn't it religion that causes all the wars and causes all the chaos? And, and to a degree, false religion has done that. But then there are some of you this morning, and including myself, I have been guilty of saying this in the past, who would, who would come in here and say, well, I don't, I don't want religion. I want relationship. If we can't graduate that term, that phrase, bury it in the ground and never say it again because it's wrong. Because in essence, what you are saying is, I don't want religion. 
I want relationship. What you are saying is I do not want to bind myself up with the true and living God. Now, some of you may mean it. And we know you mean it because of how you treat relationships. So when you say, I don't want religion, I just want relationship, we know that's what you really mean because we know how you treat relationships. Because you treat relationships as if it were a contractual thing. Well, this relationship didn't give me what I want, so I am out. And so, yeah, you've definitely meant you didn't want to be bound up with Jesus because Jesus didn't give you what you wanted. And so you're going to take your toys and run. Isn't that interesting? I would suggest to you that you are absolutely wrong in saying, I don't want religion, I want relationship. Listen, the Bible would be at odds with you. And maybe then you don't say that. But next time you hear that being, you know, tossed out there, just tell the, ask the person, do you want to be bound up with Jesus Christ? Then you absolutely want religion. Because out of religion brings the relationship to Christ. So is that helpful to anybody? No? Okay, fine. Maybe one person it was. That's good. So if I ever hear you saying you don't want religion, I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. The question is, what is James saying here? I think James is suggesting here that on the surface you have to be careful and say, well, okay, so here's what religion is. It's, it's a moral lifestyle. It is, I got to do good. And I think, yeah, I think that's a part of religion, but that's not religion. James isn't suggesting that religion is moralism. James has already told us what religion and how religion is birthed inside of us. You got to think back a few verses. When he talks about how we were birthed, I believe it's in back in verse 18, that Christ called us through the word of truth, right? From the word of truth, we were born into the family of God. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't, I've been a really good neighbor. I've, I've taken care of the folks that are in need. And thus the Lord saw fit that I was such a great person. That he was going to bring me into the fold of God. It wasn't that. You and your own efforts and your best works that you can conjure up would not be good enough to satisfy the justice of God. So Jesus met the demands of that justice of God through the cross. And because we heard the word of truth, he birthed us into a new life. Out of that, the outworkings then of that religion, right? The outworkings of that religion is this. Is what this is what James is talking about. And so what he has described here are consequences of, a, of the work of God within a life. He is saying that to profess to have life of God and to be unchanged is unthinkable. Do you catch that? Christ has birthed you. Christ has given you new life. And if you are not living this life 
then there is no evidence of a changed heart inside of you. That's essentially what James is saying. Now, he provides for us a test in this, and this may poke at some of us. This is sure to poke at me. It pokes at me continuously. In fact, I would have rather just skipped over this verse, uh, but, but, but this is the reason why I go through books of the Bible, because it forces me to talk about things that I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about my mouth. All right? Now, and, and, and this will poke at you, so just, just hang tight. It's important for us to, to, to just think about this. This is not a comprehensive summary. Uh, at the same time, this is a good test. And here's the test. It, whether or not to discover whether our professed faith is authentic or not. How will we determine it? Well, he says, I'm going to give you uh, a couple of marks of, of a true believer. One is you got a controlled tongue. Woe is me, anybody? The, the other is that you have a compassionate heart. And, and the other one is, is that you have a clean life. One that's unstained from the world, he says. All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll summarize all of these for you. So, so you, the, the mark of one who is, who is a regenerate believer has a controlled tongue. Again, this is not a comprehensive list. It's just a good test. Do you have a controlled tongue? Do you have a compassionate heart? And James then says, do you live a clean life? So, so then we'll, we'll take the test together, okay? And maybe you could look on your neighbor and see how they're doing, right? So, so cheating is, is okay at this point. So first of all, I just want you to look at this controlled tongue. If anyone considers himself or herself, for the, sorry teachers if you're in the room, I apologize. Cheating is not allowed for all you students. Uh, if you consider yourself uh, religious and yet does not keep a tight rein, a bridle on his tongue, you're deceived. So here's the individual, James says, that considers himself, you know, I am a, I am a, uh, I'm a great person. I'm a moralistic person. You know, I, I go to church. I, I sing songs. You know, I, I love it. You know, I'll, I'll say amen because maybe it makes me feel like I'm a little bit more, more spiritual than I really am. But then I can't talk to my spouse uh, in a godly manner. I don't talk to my, my co-workers or, or I've got just a trash, trash of a tongue. James has just kind of indicated to you that you may need to do a little soul digging and some soul searching. The great, um, the great reformer John Calvin says this on this particular verse. He says, he who uh, seems brilliant with some, I love this, outward shoe of sanctity uh, will set himself off by defaming others and this under the pretense of zeal all of this under the pretense of zeal but really through the lust of slander slander gossip if anyone thinks they are so great at this whole religion thing, but you can't keep your tongue under control. And don't, you know, and don't try to sneak slander and gossip under the foliage of truthfulness, right? Well, I just got to tell you the truth about this person. You know, what they did the other week was just shameful and on and on and on and on and on. 
And, you know, we as Christians, we love this. I mean, don't look at me like you're all sanctified and holy. I have a prayer request. Okay. Have you ever been a part of a small group? Then you've heard this stuff. I have a prayer request for so-and-so. Y'all know they ain't doing too well. And here's what they've done. They've been sleeping around on Joe and they've been doing all these. If your name is Joe, I don't know if this is true. And they've been doing all these things. And so, and so, but, but you, you know, you've masked it under truthfulness. And James is throwing a little red flag on you. You know, and anytime I say on you or, or you or you, what I'm really saying is Matthew, you, okay? Because this is like, this is me, God. Like this, James is like, you know, I would just like James just to take this verse out of the Bible. So, so we, so we have this problem. We have this predicament. We have this test. And so if I were to just kind of uh, be a, uh, kind of a, a, an observer of the room, I would suggest that none of us are really passing this test. Well, I, I don't really talk a lot, so I'm passing. Okay, well, well I, would, I, would, I, would, I would suggest to you, well, have you thought it? You know, because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus wouldn't be like, you know, Jesus would be like, no, but I know you thought it. And equate your thoughts to reality. You remember those verses when Jesus would just go in a room and just read people's thoughts? How terrifying. Like some of you were like, I would just love to meet Jesus face to face. No, you wouldn't. He'd be like, yo, oh, okay, I heard that thought. And then you'd be like, okay, maybe this wasn't a whole good idea having Jesus like enter up in the room. So you may be saying, well, I don't talk a lot, but I tell you what, you're going to be accounted for on your thoughts. You thought those evil things about that person. You've slandered that person in your mind. You've gossiped that person in your mind. You've had that story in your head about that person. And James has just indicted you too. No one gets out alive when it comes to Pastor James. No one. And it's terrifying. And if you say to them, then what is our hope? Then, then, then here's what you would do. Like, you don't go and you go try to fix everything. And you're like, well, I've got to fix this part of my life. I've got to fix this part of my life. No, what do you do? The remedy, the only solution, the word of truth. That's the solution. You read Galatians and you read the fruit of the Spirit. You pray earnestly that the fruit of the Spirit would be evident in your life and you trust that it's going to be by the, only by the Holy Spirit working through this that you will be more, like you will grow more in your sanctification and grow out of this. And then one day you'll be able to look back and say, you know what? I failed that test miserably that that dude was talking about, but today I'm better at it. And it is not because of what I've done, but it is because the Holy Spirit has revealed himself more and made himself clear to me. And I have grown in the fruit of the Spirit. James says, watch your mouth. I love that he uses the word and the term bridle, Right? He used the word bridle or rein it in. And this is like kind of like, when you think about a horse, right? When you're, when you're thinking about bridle. So they got this bridle in the mouth and it's controlling them. And that's what James is suggesting that you got to do. You've got to be intentional about this work in your life. 
put the bridle, the proverbial bridle. Maybe some of you need a real bridle in your mouth. I don't know. I'm not judging you. If you do, you come in here next Sunday and you got like this horse bridle in here. Like everybody's going to be looking like, oh, okay, the preacher was really talking to you. And so I don't know if that's you, but maybe it is. It's this intentional work that you have to do. And then he's got, uh, here's, here's, here's test number two. Maybe some of you are like, you know what, I've gotten better at this whole mouth thing. Well, maybe this one, James, is going to throw this one on the number two question of the test. Do you have a compassionate heart? Right, maybe you're doing good with your mouth and your words these days. Like some of, some of us would love to talk to you and say, how? How are you doing it? And then, and then he gets another one out of us. Throws the other dagger of compassion. And he, uses, and he uses widows and he uses orphans. And I don't think this is just, like, I don't, like when you think about true religion, it isn't that this is the only mark of religion, that you're just caring for orphans or that you're just caring for uh, widows. I think this is, when you look at it in the context and the history of 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 Judaism and, 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 and in this, this Israel context, like these were the outcast. These, this was the epitome of here are the people who need help the most. So this isn't like some comprehensive list. Like, like, like we only got to find the orphans. We only got to focus on the widows. I think this is just suggesting like, like who in your culture, who in your society, who are those who are the most outcast in your community, in your city? Oh, then that kind of opens up a can of worms for some of us. Because some of you thought you just got out alive because you said, oh, I don't know an orphan and I don't know a widow. Well, who are the outcast? Who are the marginalized? Who are the oppressed? Who are those who are suffering in the community? Oh, now he's laid a burden upon you. He's laid a burden upon the church to go seek those folks. You, you see, the, the, maybe this is a soapbox, and if it is, I apologize. Maybe I don't apologize. You know, the church gets a bad rap about, all oh, they're just, you know, they're just about this one agenda thing and, and everything, and that's just laughable, Right? The church for 2,000 years has been the staple, has been the organism, the movement who has been known for their care and their compassion. The church has been known for that. Like, don't let culture or whatever just fill your brain with something dumb, okay? The church has been the ones who have understood the words of James, understood the words of Jesus, and has sought out those who are the least, the last, and the lost. The church has always done that. And the church must continue to do that as well. So how is the question, right? We live in, live in this society in a very different world, in a very different culture. How then do we do that? Well, you, you hear the words of James. You go find those who are outcast and you go minister to them. I think of, I think of what the church did in, in the early couple of centuries when the Romans were, were known for just their, their brutal behavior. Right, and so when, when there was an unwanted child, what the Romans would do is go throw the babies 
on piles of garbage in hopes that they would just die. Who were the people who would go seek after those babies and raise them up? It was the church. It's always been the church, and it must be the church that continues to lead the cause of Christ in care and compassion. James just kind of indicts some of us here in this room. If he feels a little tense, it ought to be because he says, the person who has a mark of what true religion, here's what is acceptable in my eyes. The person who is looking out for those who are least, last, and forsaken. And then the third and the last part, if you can't believe I'm already done, then hold on, I've got a whole lot more for you. The last part of this is just the clean heart, right? One who is unstained by the world. I got to tell you what, if those two didn't indict you, this one feels so impossible. So now I've got to be clean? I've got to live a clean lifestyle? How am I going to live a clean lifestyle? He says, keep yourself unstained from the world. In other words, not only are we to be practically helpful, but we are to be personally holy. Now that's a message that I lost in some of our churches. The message of holiness, right? Be more like Christ. Get into the word of God. How can God, how can the word of God read me? I need to grow more into the word of Christ, grow more into the image of God. Now, again, we know this isn't a comprehensive list because if I look at this and say, well, this, if this is all I got to do, then, you know, I, I think I may have a chance. But, but we know, like, what, what some of the commands of Christ are not listed here. Some of the commands of Christ, like think about obey the word of God. Go make disciples, baptize them. We know also that this is what leads a life of what a Christian is. And in order for us to be this, like, true religion, one that is bound up in Christ, James says, here's just a small test for you. Maybe some of you this isn't a small test. Maybe it's a very large test, and for me it's a pretty big one. Watch your mouth. How are you talking to people? And, and, and also, like, like what, how are you showing compassion and care to those around you? And here's the reality. Like, anybody can do this. Anybody can, can show care and compassion. So, so you, you, you show the care and compassion. But, but for those who are believers, this is one of the most distinct ones, is that I am reflecting, uh, I, I am a reflection of who Christ is. That is how I am, this, this person who is having this clean heart. Now, some of you are wondering, how do I do this? How can I, like, I feel like I'm failing at this. Can I just say good news? 90% of us are. The other 10% of you are probably asleep and you're not paying attention, right? And so, how do I do this? Because this feels like a super impossible task. You know how you do it? trust in the Holy Spirit. Because here, I press you on this so many times. Who is the person who endures your faith in your walk with Christ? I can go ahead and give you the answer. It ain't you, honey. It is none other than the Holy Spirit inside of you 
enduring you to the end. That's our hope in all of this. Trusting that not in my goodness, not that I have to do something. It's not that I'm gone. That's this loaded laundry list of things that I've got to accomplish. No, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to step back and I'm going to breathe and trust that the Holy Spirit working in me is going to be the one that sustains me through all of this. That is, that's like the most distinct thing in the Christian life that I can tell no other religion has. But yet I can trust in Christ that when I fail at this, the Holy Spirit's going to be there keeping me going in this journey. That's true religion. Now, this brought to me a story that I thought about when I was going through this, you know, I, I was thinking like, man, I've got to have some kind of person who has like gone through this and like really done this. So that's kind of like a good example for all of us when we're thinking about care and compassion, when we're thinking about, you know, just living this clean life that's, that's doing nothing but bringing glory to God and who understood in his culture and, and that saw that in his culture that there's only one option. Well, there's two options, Christ or chaos. That's it. That's, that, may, that may like, like ruffle some of you, but listen, that's the only option. And so there was a guy by the name of William Wilberforce. I love this guy's story. He was converted in his middle 20s, and he's a student at Cambridge University. He writes in his personal journey, he writes this, God Almighty has set before me two great objects. The suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. He's not talking about reformation of manners as in, as in like, well, what fork do I use for which plate? He's not talking about that. He's talking about in the impact of gospel transformation in the culture and community that he lived in. And here we are like 200 and, I don't know, a few more years, maybe a decade, after this guy and we're, we've watched his legacy and the impact that he made on the British Empire, which then kind of flooded out through all the world on the impact of slavery. Now, here's the interesting thing. This guy was being led into his faith and, and on this journey with, with another guy, John Newton. Anybody heard of this guy? Uh, Amazing Grace, anybody? That's the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. Ah, light bulb just came on for some of you. Was a trave slater, a slave. uh, You try to do this, okay? (laughs) Slave trader. And what led him out of this idea that people were slaves? What led him out of that? Was it some philosophical discussion with his friends at Cambridge? It was the illuminating light of the gospel of truth that led him out of this. And so here's William Wilberforce, a guy who's right there in it also, led to faith in the true and living God. And he said in an observance was, something is wrong with what's happening in the world. He was a Christian, a devout follower of Christ. And here's the interesting thing. There were probably some of these other pastors and Christians who were telling him, you probably just need to shut up. 
Don't get political on us, William. And William Wilberforce wouldn't have any of it. And this man, because of the illuminating light of Christ, and, and, and maybe, maybe I'm reading it, understanding what true religion looks like, says, my faith compels me to do something about this. One single person. One person served in parliament, uh, whatever that word is. And, and, you know, the British, they do things so weird. And there's the reason why we, we're, we're America and they're not. Uh, but anyway, and so served in, we'll call it their Congress, uh, for, for a long time to lead that nation out of slavery. And here we are 200 years as beneficiaries of that one single person. Is slavery something that is practiced in America? No, you know why? Because one single person in England said, this does not jive with true religion. I don't know if that does anything for you, but man, that is, that is like something that gives me energy and life that I've got to continue on to proclaim the message. William understood it is Christ or it is chaos. Because chaos was the ruler. But William said, not anymore. Christ is king. In his... Um, in his epitaph uh, at the statue in, in Abbey, we read this. Uh, he was buried in Westminster Abbey in 1883. And then years later, they put this epitaph on, on a statue in, in Abbey. It says, to the memory of William Wilberforce, born in Hull, August 24th, 1759, died in London, July 29th, 1833. For nearly half a century, a member of the House of Commons, that's the word I was looking for, and for six parliaments during that period, one of the two representatives for Yorkshire, in an age and country fertile and great and good men, he was among the foremost of those who fixed the character of their times. Because too high and various talents to warm benevolence and to universal candor, he added the abiding eloquence of Christian life. Eminent as he was in every department of public labor and a leader in every work of charity, whether to relieve the temporal or the spiritual wants of his fellow man. His name will ever be specially identified with those exertions which, by the blessing of God, removed from England the guilt of the African slave trade and prepared the way for the abolition of slavery in every colony of the empire. In the prosecution of those objects he relied, not in vain, on God, but in the process he was called to endure great and great opposition. He outlived all enmity and in the evening of his days withdrew from public life and public observation to the bosom of his family. 
Yet he died, not unnoticed or forgotten by his country, the peers and commons of England, and the Lord Chancellor, and the Speaker at their head, in solemn procession from their respective houses, carried him to his fitting place among the mighty dead around here to repose till through the merits of Jesus Christ, his only Redeemer and Savior, which in his life and his writings, he had desired to glorify. He shall rise in the resurrection of the just. Amazing, isn't it? A man of great compassion, a man of conviction, a man of true religion who understood that true religion works. And because of his faith in Christ led to the abolition of slavery because he understood it's Christ or chaos. And I press that and I lay that before you this morning. It is Christ or chaos in your marriage. It is Christ or chaos in your family, in your relationships. It is Christ or chaos. And this may get me a label, and I don't care. It is Christ or chaos in this nation. And it is up to us to understand that true religion works.